Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Acts uh, 21. We'll pick up the tail end of 21. We're actually going to be mostly in, in 22 uh, today. Um, but if you uh, would pick it up from there. Um, when I was a kid, my parents did a fine job of encouraging us with different kinds of books to read. And so I remember at age 10 being given the autobiography of George Mueller, who opened a lot of orphanages in England. And some of you uh, may have read that. And so my sister and I used to love reading um, stories, uh, biographies, autobiographies of missionaries and different people. And I remembered, uh, I remembered this week that my sister had read, I think, a portion of at least a story about Amy Carmichael. Uh, Amy Carmichael, if you know the story, she was an Irish girl born in the mid-1800s, and, um, and her, she writes about this uh, experience where her mother was teaching her about prayer and said, look, if you pray, the Lord will answer your prayers. And so she was born with brown eyes, but as a good Irish girl, she wanted blue eyes. And so she would pray. She said, Lord, please give me blue eyes. Please give me blue eyes. Please give me blue eyes. And she woke up the next morning and ran to the mirror to check, and her eyes were still brown. And, and so she's thought, okay, well, maybe that's, uh, you know, not God's will for my life to change my eye color, but, you know, you know, whatever. Well, as she got older, she eventually became a missionary to India. And when she moved to India, she discovered that there was um, some things that were happening with the children there, particularly young girls in these different temples. And, and it was very difficult to expose or to uncover just exactly what was happening. And so Amy needed to disguise herself as an Indian girl to be able to be allowed back behind the scenes. And guess what came in handy in that time? Her brown eyes. There had been no way that she would have been able to disguise herself with those Irish blue eyes. And so there are times, I think, where you wonder, God, have you put these things together in my life, in this story, for a reason? Is there something about my life that maybe is going to lead to a moment that you have prepared me for? I grew up in Malaysia, and when I was 10, uh, my family, my older sister was 13, my parents, there's only two of us kids, we all moved to Portland, Oregon, and I remember, um, you know, we were, I was in sixth grade at the time, or going into sixth grade, and, and just feeling sort of this out-of-place feeling, you know, feeling like, man, where do I really belong? And even though we grew up speaking English, we grew up speaking English with a British accent because Malaysia was a British colony or something like a British accent, not quite. And, uh, and I think I've told you the story about my sixth grade teacher making me stand up and say the word airplane in front of the whole class so that he could teach me in front of the whole class how to roll my R's and say airplane, you know. And thank God all of you teachers in the room are, would never do that to your students, but this is what my sixth grade teacher did. And then, and then we returned to Malaysia when I was 13, and, and um, I finished out my high school years there through an extension, sort of homeschool kind of thing, and then came back to the States to go to college uh, when I was 17. And um, I think, I think in, in my freshman year or sophomore year, I went home with a friend uh, to, because it was fall break or one of those odd breaks that wasn't quite long enough to really go all the way back to Malaysia. And... Um, and my, this particular friend of mine was from Woodhull, Illinois. Anybody know where Woodhull, Illinois is? It's, it's close to Moline. It's close to the Quad Cities. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm there visiting my friend Ben uh, in, in Moline, Illinois. And, and it's a Friday night. And he says, hey, look, everybody in the town goes to the high school football game on Friday night. So why don't you come with us? So I'm thinking, okay, it's great. You know, so we're sitting there. And uh, he doesn't, uh, or his family didn't realize this, but I'm really a big football fan. So I knew the rules and I was into the game. And, and when it was over, his mom introduced me to one of her friends. And, and she said, hey, this is Ben's friend, Glenn. And, uh, and he's from Malaysia. 
And her eyes got real big. And she leaned in close. And she looked at me and she said, Welcome to America. (laughs) I said, Thanks, you know, it's great to be here. Great game, wasn't it? And she just sort of looked at me like, Oh, you know. And there... So... So there were, different, there were different moments in my own journey where I felt like, for goodness sake, where do I, you know, where do I sort of fit in here? How do I belong? And that's you know, especially a traumatic question for a teenager, let alone a teenager trying to navigate two cultures. But now at 34, there are different parts of my story and my journey that I say, you know what? I'm grateful for this and I'm grateful for that. And it's because of this that the Lord has sort of prepared me for this moment. In Acts 21 and 22, Paul is in this place where he's being, he's in Jerusalem, and there's all these accusations, we talked about this last week, there's all these accusations that are flying about him, saying, oh, you're the Egyptian that started the revolution. He's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not that guy, and who told you that? And, and, and all of a sudden, you see Paul beginning to leverage different parts of his story. It all starts colliding as if this were the moment that God had prepared him for. Acts 21, verse 34, basically Paul's tried to go into the temple with peace. Uh, When he arrived at Jerusalem, they told him that there were these rumors about him teaching Jews to disregard the law. And so he says, okay, I'm not that guy. I'll pay for my traveling companions to go through the Jewish purification rites. They'll shave their heads and all of this stuff. The whole city is in an uproar now because they're accusing him of bringing a Greek person into the temple, which he did not. They drag him out of the temple, they've shut the gates, they're about to kill him when all of a sudden a Roman tribune, basically a Roman political authority, shows up. He hears about the riot in his city, which looks bad on who? On him. It's the Roman guy's job to keep peace. And so he's coming, he's got guards, and they run to the scene. This is, I mean, if you could picture, this is quite the action movie scene, you know, it's like, chaos, the, move, the music is tension, building tension, and, dun, 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 and they're about to stone him, and this Roman guy comes in, except they're not really nice guys, so the guards are grabbing Paul, and then it says in verse 34, some in the crowd shouted one thing, others shouted something else, and because of the commotion, he couldn't learn the truth. You know, it reminds me of like, the, like in a football game where there's a fumble, and half, the one team is saying, it's our ball, it's our ball, and the other team's going, it's our ball, and the ref's going like this, you know, and the replacement ref's doing this. No, anyway, but, <laughs> so, so there's just confusion, but, but because of the commotion, he couldn't learn the truth, and so he ordered that Paul be taken to the military headquarters, and when Paul reached the steps, he had to be carried by the soldiers in order to protect him from the violence of the crowd. Imagine this. The soldiers are carrying him to to kind of protect him. And the mob that followed kept screaming, away with him. As Paul was about to be taken to the military headquarters, he asked the commander, may I speak with you? And apparently he says this in very eloquent Greek because the man answered, do you know Greek? Sort of like, welcome to America. Oh, you speak English? Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists in the desert some time ago? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. Please let me speak to the people. Paul already begins to say, look, there's different things about my story that I'm going to bring to bear on this moment, on this scene But the reason he's doing that is not just so he can be spared, not just so he can be saved. In fact, we've seen Paul go through a lot of hardship already. Remember in the previous chapter, he said, I am ready not only to suffer, but to 
die. So Paul's not invoking his story and speaking classical Greek or whatever he's doing. He's not doing that as a way of dodging pain, right? Why is he doing this? He says, please let me speak to my people. What if, I have three questions as we work through the text this morning, three questions for us, and the first is this. What if God can use you right where you are? I have never been in a scene like the one Paul was in here in Acts 21 and 22, and maybe some of you have, maybe some of you that have served overseas in, in, in armed services in the military, and you've been in some intense sequences and scenes. I don't know in that moment how you would have the presence of mind to say, wait, 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 wait. Can God use me even now in this moment? Here's Paul. He's already been beaten in the verses we didn't read. He'd already been beaten. The guards got to grab him and hold him up high so the people can't kill him. There's a lot of angry people surrounding Paul. And in this moment, Paul says, hey, I think I, I can speak to them about Jesus. Excuse me? It's an interesting thing, but Paul is consumed with this sense of mission. I think for us, there there are probably two occasions where we, or two reasons why we don't believe that God can use us right where we are. One is that the right where we are is too ordinary. I'm just. How many times have you started a sentence or maybe a prayer or you've thought in your mind, I'm just. Well, I'm just a student. I'm just a stay-at-home, work-from-the-home mom. I'm just an ordinary business dude. I'm just a contractor. I'm just... How many times do we start that way because we don't really think that God could use us right where He has us? And so sometimes we talk as if, you know, there's going to be a day. Well, one day... One day when I retire, one day when I finish this, one day when I'm done with this, then maybe God can use me. But, but for now, I'm too busy. Maybe that's the other. I'm, I'm too busy. I, I, I've got this going on and this going on. I, I don't have time to do that. I mean, Glenn, you're talking about some of these Dream Center stuff. and I'd love to serve that, but I'm, I'm too busy. I, I can't do that. Okay, but what about where you actually are? What about the meetings that you are in? What about the things you are busy with? What about the cubicle? What about the Starbucks? What about those actual places? Could God use you exactly where you are? Oftentimes we don't believe that because we think situations need to be more ideal than that. Well, it's got to be better than that. And I, you know. I, when I used to work with the mill, our college ministry, what, what I'd hear a lot from 20-somethings and young people, and probably none of you in this room, but just you know, the ones I used to know, um, was kind of this, I love the Lord and I've got big dreams and I want to do this. So that's awesome. Is there any way you can begin to take little steps and act on that now? No, probably not. But, but someday I'm going to do that. I was a theology major at, at college, theological historical studies, which... Whenever I told anyone that, the conversation became over all of a sudden. Nobody was interested in that. But I was surrounded by classmates who loved theology and all of this stuff and would talk to me about the great ministries they wanted to start one day or the great ministries they were going to be involved with one day. And then I would say, well, right now, while you're in school, are you serving at any local church? Well, no, I don't have time for that. But someday I'm going to pastor a great big church. 
No, really? It's not usually how it works, is it? If there are things that God sort of puts in our hearts, I think there's a way that we, we can pray, Lord, open my eyes to see what's here. What's now? It doesn't mean it's all here. and It doesn't mean it's all now. But aren't there little ways that you can say, well, maybe I can encourage that now. If you're saying, well, maybe I, w- I want to be a youth pastor someday or I want to start this big youth ministry and I've got this vision. Okay, maybe you could serve Young Life for a season. They need more leaders. They've got 90 kids. I'm looking at Britt right here. They've got 90 kids coming to their club on Monday nights. Is that right, Britt? Something like that. And they need more leaders. Oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't know if I should. Wonder, but I really have a heart for young people. Someday I'm going to do that. Or, beginning to see even the situations that you're in as places where God has placed you. Think about the difference of perspective that makes. Many of us would say, well, I, I don't know if God can use me where I am because where I am is in a place of brokenness. Or where I am is in a place of pain. Or where I am is I, I'm in a place of difficulty. You don't understand. I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with this. How is that supposed Well, maybe in your life it's not the dramatic thing, but the simple thing. I think of, I, I think of our many young moms in our congregation with young children. Well, I don't know if I have time for some other ministry. I can't serve this. Right, 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 right. But can God use you right where you are to love your children? To serve your children well? Holly and I have been talking about this this week. Like, Does it change perspective at all to say, the places where I am, what if I began to see myself as being an instrument of God in this place, in this scene? So Monday morning is not just Monday morning, but uh, alright God, I'm your person on the inside. I'm your 007 secret agent. I'm, you know, wearing the tux, only it's not a tux, it's sweats, you know, whatever. I'm in the scene. I'm your person on the ground here. I'm your special intel, whatever. I'm here on the ground. Could you use me even in this moment? Paul very easily could have shut it down and said, goodness gracious, I'm like bleeding, I'm stoned, I'm like... Let's just, get, just get me out of this town. Instead, he says, please, let me speak to my people. Let me speak to the people. There's something about this occasion that is divine. Uh, I'm not suggesting that every moment in your life is a divine appointment. I'm not suggesting that every moment is this, Bye! you know, all of a sudden angels sing and the heavens open up. You're like, oh my gosh. I'm just saying, what if we prayed each day and said, God, open my eyes to see these moments. Open my eyes to be aware that that you can use me right where I am today. And maybe it's not the place I want to be. I don't want to be at home. I don't want to be at this workplace. I don't want to be in class. I don't want to be making another cup of coffee at Starbucks. I I don't want to be. But God, would you help me believe that wherever I am, you are. Wherever I am, you are. And so you can use this moment. Verse 40, with the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and gestured to the people. When they were, and when they were quiet, he addressed them now in Aramaic. This guy is quite the linguist. First highfalutin Greek, now backcountry Aramaic. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And when they heard him address them in Aramaic, they became even more quiet. I said, what? Who is this guy? He's probably not that Egyptian we thought he was. Paul continued, 
I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but raised in this city. Which city? Jerusalem. See him making bonds, making friends, and gaining friends, and what's it? Anyway. Influencing people? Yeah, right. No, not really. Under Gamaliel's instruction, I was trained in the strict interpretation of our ancestral law. I am passionately loyal to God, just like you who are gathered here today. I harass those who followed this way, which is Luke's way of talking about Christianity, to their death. I was arresting and delivering both men and women into prison. And the high priest and the whole Jerusalem council can testify about me. I receive letters from them. What, what is all this stuff that Paul's saying? He's saying, not only was I, am I a Jew, I was in with the powerful Jewish leaders. I studied under Gamaliel. And you're like, oh, wow. I mean, that's sort of like Ivy League. I, I went to Harvard. <laughs> it's just, well, and not only that, I got letters from these people. I got like congressional endorsements, you know, I mean, for... Those of you that are, made it through the Air Force Academy, I got a letter from my center that, said, that recommended me. This is Paul kind of showing his, 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 his badges here. Say, look, I've done this. They were, I was so zealous for God and people recognized me for it. And the high priest and the whole Jew, okay, so I received letters, let's see, so I could go to who were arrested in Jerusalem so that they could be punished. And then he begins to tell this story. And he says, I was on my way to Damascus. And I saw this great light, and a voice from heaven spoke to me. And I said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This is Paul sharing the highest of his highs and sharing the lowest of his lows. It's not a good day when you find out that your whole life's work, Jesus has taken it as a personal affront against him. That's not a good day when everything that you worked so hard to achieve come to find out Jesus took it personally as an offense. Paul, Saul, you're persecuting me. What? Paul shares this moment. Verse 10, I asked, what should I do, Lord? Get up, the Lord replied, and go into Damascus. There you will be told everything you have been appointed to do. Appointed to do. You could circle that or underline that phrase if you want to in your Bible because I think Paul holds on to that idea throughout his whole ministry. That he has been the one who has been appointed by God for a specific task. Paul, in in most of his letters, I think all of his letters, opens by saying, I, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in our ears, that sounds like Paul's kind of trying to sort of play rank here. Apostle, are you? Well, I'm bishop, you know, whatever, you know. No, 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 no. This isn't like, um, this isn't like our day where people throw around the titles, apostles, self-proclaimed or whatever, okay? Apostle simply means the messenger, the one who has been sent, the sent one. In one sense, Paul's sort of saying, I, Paul, the FedEx guy from God, been sent with the chosen mission, the commissioned one, commissioned by God. And I wonder if this whole idea of being sent by God was the thing that carried Paul through the difficult days in his life. Because that was his identities. I am the one, he said, who's been sent. I am the sent one. What if, the second question for us, what if God has actually prepared you for this? 
And you can fill in the blank of what this is. But what if God has actually prepared you for this? So what, what, what do you mean? What things about your story? What things about your skills? Okay, my story, my skills. That's great. That's positive. Wait, let's go on. What about the places where you failed? Well, I don't want to talk about that. What about the places where you are broken? What about the places where in your weakness you have found Christ to be your strength? Could it be that God has prepared you for something? Could it be that all of us are, are sent people? Sent people. We sang the song earlier this morning, Power in Hand, Speaking the Father's Plan, Sending Us Out, Light in this broken, broken land, yeah, darkened land, sending us out. How would it change the way you think about your job or your family or your life or your school or your work or any? How would it change each moment of the day if you said, okay, God, would you send me into the world today? Look, I'm not like legalistic about you know, morning quiet times and things like that. I've had good seasons in my life where that's been consistent and then I have seasons where I have four kids and it's challenging. But I'll tell you, there is something powerful about even a few moments of prayer before you go into your day and you say, Holy Spirit, fill me up and send me out. What if you said that tomorrow morning? Jesus, fill me up and send me out. Send me into the world today. Send me as your messenger today. Send me, let me believe. I want to believe that everything in my life, my, my, my triumphs and my failures, the, the skills that I've acquired and the brokenness in my own life, help me believe that everything that is part of my story, you've prepared me for this day. Send me into the world today. Imagine living life like that. Paul believed that. I, Paul, the sent one from God, speak to you, the church in Corinth. A week ago yesterday, a week ago yesterday, um, Holly's grandmother passed away, and we, we got word about it, and we were deciding about how we were going to make it back to Iowa for the funeral. And we found some mileage tickets, and Holly and Jane went out on Wednesday. And, uh, and I took Jonas with me on Friday, um, mainly because he, and, and then the girls stayed with my dad, and mainly because uh, a lot of the extended family hadn't seen Jonas and you know, the, the, the two little ones. And, and um, our flight was supposed to be at 7.45 uh, in the evening on Friday, which was pushing it for a two-year-old boy. Uh, not me, but Jonas, uh, though I act like a two-year-old boy sometimes. And uh, we got to the airport, and I look on the board, and it says, flight's been delayed to 10.45. Thinking, oh boy, this is why God invented iPads, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so, you know, Jonas, we're chilling at the airport, uh, and, and then, um, you know, we ended up getting standby on a slightly earlier flight that left at 10. And we made it into Sioux Falls after midnight. A friend came and picked us up, we ended up crashing at their house uh, for the night, and then Holly's dad picked me up Saturday morning, and the funeral was Saturday morning. Now, Holly and I, we've been married... 11 years, I had to think for a second, uh, 11 years, and I've been to her hometown of Akron, it's a farming community, northwest Iowa, I've been there a number of times, 
But you have to know these beautiful Midwestern towns to understand how close-knit these communities are. These are people that have been together for the better part of a century, whose families all know each other and cousins and second cousins and all this stuff and know each other, and that have gone to the same Lutheran church for 60, 70 years, that the two, you know, Holly's mom and her sister were both married in that same church because that's where their parents went to church and where they got me and all of this stuff. And so when I was asked to speak at the funeral, to give the sermon in the Lutheran church, you can imagine that that's a huge honor. And, and I, I remember thinking, oh, I, I remember, it was yesterday. Yesterday, <laughs> so much has happened this weekend. I, I, I woke up yesterday morning, by the time we got to bed, Jonas and I got to bed, it was like 1.15, 1.30 a.m., and we knew he was going to have to wake up around 7 uh, to get ready and to get picked up and drive over to Iowa an hour away. And I was tired, right? I'm tired, I'm getting ready, and I'm thinking, I've got to sing three songs, one of which is that old hymn, In the Garden, He Walks With Me that I'd never heard, except the Elvis Presley version, and I don't think they wanted that version. I come to the garden to pray, while the dew, anyway, is still on the roses. And, okay, sorry. I didn't sing it like that. Um, so I'm kind of thinking, okay, I've got to learn this hymn really quick. I've got two other songs, and what am I going to say? Because my standard... Anyway, so I'm thinking through this, and then I remember this sermon that, 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 that I was going to be sharing with you today. And I said, Lord, send me to the funeral today. Send me to the service today. Send me to sing. Send me to comfort. Send me to proclaim the Word of Christ today. And we did it, and the service was over, and all these wonderful people that had known each other for 50, 60, 70 years were just gushing in their, in their kindness, kind words about how the service was. One older gentleman said, I'm on the deacon board at this Lutheran church. Would you ever consider being our pastor? Um, Which I took to be the highest compliment, and I politely declined, just so, you know. Um. (laughs) But it changes your outlook on life when you begin to say, Lord, send me to this situation. Send me to, what if God, God, have you prepared me for this moment? God, have you prepared, Lord, is there, are there things in my life, you've prepared me for this, Lord. Here's Paul kind of saying, I speak Aramaic, I, I was raised in Jerusalem, I studied under Gamaliel, I had letters from these high leaders, I was on my way to Damascus, Jesus accused me of persecuting him himself. I was in sin, I was deceived, I missed that Jesus was the Messiah. I was the chief of sinners, later Paul would say. This is Paul not holding anything back from his personal story, saying, you want to see it? Here's the good. Here's the bad. Here's the... Now, I'm not asking you to be unwise about this and just air your dirty laundry. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, could you believe that everything in your life, your strength and your brokenness, is part of God preparing you for these moments where He's sending you out into the world? Could you believe that? Finally, as Paul goes on, chapter 22, verse 21, and the Lord, he, he's continuing his story and he says, and then the Lord said to me, he's talking about being in a moment of prayer in the very temple that they're in in Jerusalem, and he says, it's here in this temple while I'm in prayer that the Lord said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And the crowd listened to Paul until he said this, now you've gone too far, Paul. And then they shouted, away with this man, he's not fit to live. 
And then the riot really kicks up a notch. What was so unsettling for them to hear about Paul saying that God sent him to the Gentiles? It's hard for us to imagine this, but if you were a Jewish person in the first century, you spent the better parts of 2,000 years having story after story passed down and passed down and passed on to you that told you that you were God's special people, that God loved you, that God was in covenant with you. And somewhere along the way, the original covenant words to Abraham that you were chosen for the sake of the world (laughs) sort of fell out. Somewhere the, the loudspeaker that played Isaiah's words that said, I have called you to be a light even to the Gentiles, to the faraway peoples. Somehow that volume got turned down and all they heard was, I'm special, I'm special, I'm special, I'm special. And so when Paul shows up and says, God's sending me to the Gentiles, they said, how dare you say that? We may not be able to get the Jew-Gentile issue, but we sure get this in our own hearts and lives, don't we? Because a funny thing happens along the way of following Jesus. The longer we follow Jesus, somehow we start to believe that we deserved it. That we were special. That we were better than them. That we never did that. We never believed this. And so the longer you walk with Jesus, the harder it is to become gracious towards someone else. And all of a sudden, the surprising generosity of God, we talked about this last week, the surprising generosity of God shows up and God says, I'm redeeming them and them and them and them too. And you say, I'm kind of offended about that. And maybe we'd never say, away with him, let's rid him of the earth, let's rid the earth of him, as these people say. But maybe somewhere in your heart there's this little resentment that you're offended, that you're like, hey, that's not fair. I'm a Christian, I read my Bible, I pray every day, and when I ask for healing, it doesn't happen. But this guy doesn't even believe, and he comes up to the line of the prayer team, prays for him, and he gets a miracle. Hey, that's not fair. Fair. And God says, I am a surprisingly generous God. And if I wasn't, you wouldn't be saved either. And that's the thing about it. Our culture, specifically as Americans, our culture really values the things we built. The things we accomplished. Many of us believe almost as a core conviction that you are the reason that you are what you are today. You made yourself this. I did this. I did this. I deserved this. I worked. I did. And there's truth to that, but it's not the most true thing. There is truth to that, but it is not the most true thing. The most true thing is that all of us would be lost and broken and blind without the grace of God. And until you believe that, you don't know grace. It's why when I wrote a book, the book that came out last year on the Beatitudes in Luke, I called it Lucky. And many Christians were bothered by this. How could you say lucky instead of blessed? You know why? Because lucky is an offensive word. 
Because it implies that you didn't do anything to deserve this. Lucky's offensive. Tell an athlete that that was a lucky shot. Hey! (laughs) Tell a golfer that shooting under par was like he had a lucky day at the course. Hey, hey, you know. In fact, there's that famous story. You remember this? Gary Player, some of you guys who follow golf, you know, there's this famous story with Gary Player. They said, hey, you, that was, you, you were really lucky on, on the course. He goes, lucky? He goes, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I realized that uh, the, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. <laughs> Offended. How could you say it? That was lucky. But when it comes to God's grace, we're all pretty lucky. What did you do to deserve it? Nothing. What did you do to say, well, I did. I was from a pretty good family and I never smoked or cursed or chewed or hung out with those who do. And, you know. Like it doesn't matter. For all of us without Christ, no matter how good or how bad, it might as, Jesus might as well say the same words to us that He said to Saul, you are living against Me. It ain't good enough. But it's by my grace that I chose you. In fact, maybe because Paul knew grace. Paul knew that he had come face to face with his sinfulness because Jesus said to him, Saul, you're doing your best works righteousness and I got bad news. You're actually persecuting me. (laughs) And he's like, "Uh, uh uh-oh. And so maybe Paul understood, look, if the best that we could do, the try-hardest that we got is still going to fall short of the glory of God. And then it's only by God's gracious generosity that I am saved. Then why wouldn't God surprise us and save others too? Right? Where are you offended at God's grace? Why is it that you want grace for yourself but justice for someone else? Why is it that when it comes to other people's sins, you say, well, justice needs to be done. Oh, what if God had done justice to you in your sin? Because in the cross, justice and grace met. And the grace of God took God's full weight of His justice on Jesus Himself so that now grace flows down to you and to me. A good sign that you're becoming a person of grace is when it's always good news to you if God is more gracious and generous than you thought. And that's the third question. What if God is more gracious and generous than you thought? A good sign that you're catching grace is when you're happy about that. Last year, this book came out that suggested that even after death, There would be a chance to repent and that God would end up saving more people than we thought. Maybe all people. Some of you read Love Wins by Rob Bell. Personally, I think it's irresponsible to offer that hope because the Scripture doesn't offer us that hope. But what was disheartening was the response of Christians who were so quick to rejoice in the judgment and finality of hell. That the response to someone who was saying, hey, what if God ends up being more gracious than we thought? The response was not, boy, I certainly hope so, but I don't think we have specifically that hope. That would be a different response rather than, how dare you, that heretic, farewell, Rob Bell, and get out of here, and this, all of this stuff. 
And there is so much spiritual pride that kind of builds up in us that if someone suggests that God is more generous than you think, you're offended instead of hopeful. I am hopeful that God is more generous than I thought. And I'm going to pray and work in my whole life to announce Christ as the hope here and now. But we are people of God's grace should never be offended when God surprises us with His grace. Surprises us with His generosity. That doesn't mean you compromise the Gospel. That doesn't mean you preach another name than Jesus. None of that. It just means we remember the New Testament reading we heard read this morning. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. Not by works so that none of us can boast. So I don't boast about it, no, but you begrudge it when you think God is going to save someone else. Look, here we are at New Life Downtown. We're here because we're asking God to save people and bring in people that we wouldn't otherwise expect, that don't look like us, don't look like you. The sign of God's grace taking root in your heart and my heart is when we welcome this and we say, do it, Lord. Come on, Jesus, do it, Lord. Rather than this guarded, oh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we were kind of in this first. We were kind of the chosen few. I mean, why are all these other people coming in? Surprising generosity of God. We're going to come to the table of the Lord this morning. And I want you to know, many of you know this, but the table is why we gather. The singing is great. The sermon's average. <laughs> but the sacraments, the communion table is why we've come. People say all the time, well, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. All, right, this is how we remember that it truly is. And I want you to pray this morning as you're getting ready to come to really set your heart in this place where you say, all right, God, let the grace of God be surprising to me again. I confess my spiritual pride. I confess my arrogance. I confess my, my, my unwillingness to, to this or that. God, make me a person that catches your gracious generosity so that I can believe that you have prepared me and are sending me into the world so that every moment of life can be a moment where I believe that you can use and speak and redeem. Amen? Take a moment this morning and just let the Spirit begin to speak to you, to nudge your heart, and maybe begin to pray and say, Lord, where are there ways that I have not been seeing this as a moment where I have been sent? Or where are there moments where I have not believed that you could use me in the midst of this? Or maybe, who am I not willing to allow in to your gracious and generous kingdom? Let's pray that way, and then we'll pray a prayer of confession together.